Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, keynote speaker and storytelling coach, Francisco Mafus. When I was a kid, I used to think that by the time you had gray hair, you had everything figured out, that life didn't change anymore, that people didn't change, and what you did for a living definitely didn't change. Well, my guest today is David Pullen, and he's the proof I was completely wrong. After a 20-year career in film, television, and the Royal Shakespeare Company, David is now one of the founders of The Story Spotters, a company who helps leaders and teams use the power of story to build powerful connections one conversation at a time. And his clients include PwC, Novartis, and American Express. So here to talk about all the other ways in which I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen, it's David Pullen. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have been looking forward to meeting you and talking to you for such a long time. Can I just say, the day that things stop changing, it's not about the great, you should stop living the day that things stop changing. That's what life's about. Life is a story, as you know. Well, listen, I, <laughs> I'm i proven wrong on a regular basis. It's uh, it's just one more way that I was proven wrong from what I, from what I, from the things I used to think about. See, this one is not particularly embarrassing because I used to think that when I was a kid, but this was the same time that I, I perhaps watching too much Peanuts, but I used to think that grown-ups were these mythical creatures that actually knew what they were doing. I hadn't realized that grown-ups were regular people that just didn't pick their noses in public. That's the thing is, as soon as you start seeing the flaws in the adults, that's when you start learning about stories. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I believe that both you and I in our, not necessarily our origin stories, but in our recent origin stories, we have a lot to thank Neil Bearden for. Oh, man, I have a lot to thank Neil Bearden for. I, in fact, the whole, I mean, you said that things don't change. The major thing that has changed for me during this whole lockdown period was I, I changed the name of my business to The Story Spotters, which was for years before. I actually work with my wife. I know you're married with a young child, but my wife and I are not only married, but we work together. Her name is Sarah Jane McKechnie. I'm David Pullen. And for years, we were very imaginatively called McKechnie Pullen Limited. And nobody has a clue what one of them does. But when uh, when lockdown happened, Neil was working. Well, he's just recently lived uh, left INSEAD in in Singapore, and which is an which is an MBA, right? It, it's the MBA, in the, exactly, in the executive MBA as well. And he'd gone from being a a, a stats professor essentially to being a he's a real rock and roll professor. I mean, anybody who's seen his 
bicycle guy video on YouTube knows about that. Hold on, let me let me just let yeah, me yeah, bracket yeah. that because I, I think I think we talked about this, but my one of my introductions to LinkedIn, though I had it for business like everybody did and never mm. really paid any attention to it. And one day I was just, you know, I, I looked at the feed, which is not something I used to do. And there was this bald guy wearing a black V-neck t-shirt telling a story about bicycles. And and yeah. I watched that and I thought, wow, I, I had no idea you could do this. So yeah. this was around the time that I was deciding to start doing what I'm doing now. So I, for a very long time, had the bald guy as my inspiration. And uh, <laughs> I, not that long ago, maybe three months ago, I found out about uh, a, a Snapchat filter that made people bald. So I, sh- I made a little film of me bald with a black V-neck T-shirt, perhaps the one I'm wearing right now. And I talked about my, you know, the bald guy that inspired me. And I actually yeah. said, you know, I want a bald guy. Can someone find me who this bald guy is? And uh, I think when I was talking to you over the messages and you mentioned Neil Bearden, I went to check out who Neil Bearden was. I was like, He's bald and he talks about stories. Exactly. And lo, lo and behold, on his website, there is a video of the bicycle story. Are you connected to him now? Yes, I've connected to him. He should be coming on the podcast in, in August because he's moving from He's just moved back to Singapore. North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Friends, has it, have you ever considered this, this is your Cinderella story? You're trying to find the bald guy. yes i've not i've i've told it on linkedin and i i think of this is the thing with with origin stories and i I say this to people that work with me unlike superheroes we don't just have one so i have one that i use often which is about me telling a story when i was 12 years old in school but you know i i have other kung fu moments you know these moments yeah. where i realized i have these powers and and this was one of them this was one of those yeah. things where i thought well i i didn't really know that this is something you could do so yeah neil bearden the plot wolf should yeah. be coming on the podcast in in august back to your story no 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 <laughs> but, but i want to pick up on something you say there because i 100 percent agree with that i think to sort of think you have one origin story or one connect if you think often people think of the origin story as your connection story the story that's going to connect you to other people i completely agree there is not one size fits all the story i'm telling now about neil because actually what happened is i saw his bicycle guy on linkedin and i just i i reposted and i said there is so much to admire in what this guy's doing he got in touch with me said, thank you, that means a lot coming from you. He'd obviously seen what I've been doing in the past. We ended up working together at INSEAD, at the business school, at the MBA. The reason the story spotters came about is he said, listen, David, I really like what you do, but what the hell do you do? And I said, well, the majority of my work is actually going into businesses. I I listen to either their strategies or them connecting to clients if it's a big pitch, because I do a lot of business development work. And I stop them when I think that they've arrived at a story that needs to be shaped and shared. And he went, oh, you're, you're a story spotter. And I thought, that's interesting. I'll figure out what one of them does. And there are four elements to it. But you know, that is, that's my origin story of how the name came about of the story spotters. There's another origin story about how I got into story in the first place in a business. Uh, let, let me, let me pick you up on the, on the, on the name change, because yeah. I don't know if you've seen me talk about something I, I stole from uh, Andy Enriquez, the, the airplane and the destination. I don't know if you've seen me talk I about have that. Seen that. Yeah, I have, okay. yeah. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't, essentially is this idea that if you want to sell someone on a holiday, 
you sell them on the destination. You don't yeah. sell them on the airplane. So a lot of people in marketing talk about benefits and not features. You know, you should focus on what, the pe- what people get out of it, not what gets them there. And yeah. I think it's interesting with the change name. And again, you know, the story spot is a much better name than uh, McKechnie Pullen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I heard you say what is a McKechnie Pullen, and I think there's a children's book in there. No, what is there a McKechnie Pullen? What does a McKechnie Pullen do? Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's like the, your version of the Gruffalo. But, <laughs> but but what I found interesting is that I've gotten a lot of pushback over the last sort of two years, year and a half that I've been doing this because my focus is very much storytelling. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the name I use, not, not as company because the, it's me, I'm really the business, but I use Story Powers as the name of the podcast. I use it as the name of my course. I use it, I use it every, everywhere. And a lot of people talked about how, yes, but stories are not, you know, argue, the story is the airplane. The story is not the destination. The, the story is, is a means to an end. You're trying to either, you know, maybe it's more, uh, employee engagement, maybe it's better leadership, maybe it's uh, sales, it's marketing or whatever. So I find it interesting that your change went from being a consultancy that used story as 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 one of the main things you guys did to achieve results to making that part of it the the main thing you want to be known for. That's an interesting one, actually. I mean, the, the, the name was a well, it was alliterative, so we quite liked it. So the story spotters sounded good, but in, but then it, it had an element of mystery. It sort of it, it sort of the story spotters. What does one of them do? And that tends to lead to a conversation, which is the four elements we do, which is the the stories that people have to spot, shape, and share to connect either internally or externally with the market. Um, the stories that you trigger through your behaviors, how you show up, because that's a big thing of mine is is the stories that we infer from people just by how they behave. The stories that you get out of other people through conversations so that relationships become more than more than just transactional. And the final thing is what are the stories you're telling yourself that are either going to help or hinder your your success in the future? So there are these four elements of story spotting. So the, the name actually leads to a further conversation about what does a story spotter do? It, it, it intrigues enough, I found. So there is something something about what you said that I think is interesting, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a, a sort of a tongue in cheek accusation here, Good. and uh, you, you feel free to tell me I'm full of crap. But from some of the descriptions of what you said, so to, to people that didn't catch that, it was the stories you need to tell, stories you're triggering with how you yeah. show up, stories you get out of people, and stories you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Someone could <laughs> could say that by having a name that has story on it and having these four different criteria that have story in them, but actually having the, the meat of, of, of at least two of those four things, they stories more the way you talk about them than necessarily yeah. storytelling themselves because the stories you tell yourself i think most people would argue that this is more cognitive behavior or mm-hmm. psychology or psychiatry than necessarily storytelling you know, i'm a storyteller i don't think i'm i don't think i'm at all qualified to help someone with the stories they tell themselves it's a, yeah. it's a different skill set than the one i have Interestingly enough, I don't know if you've seen this, but Kendra Hall is just putting out a new book. It's coming out in January, and it's called uh, Choose Your Story, Change Your Life. Ah. Uh, So she's clearly moving towards the the Mel Robbins 
type of universe where she's yeah. you know, sounds like she's going to focus on the motivational, inspirational, behavioral change side of storytelling, if we can consider that a side of storytelling, yeah. more than the actual telling of stories. So back to what I was trying to say is, <laughs> so you've, you've branded yourself more with stories, <clears throat> but would you agree that a, at least a couple of the things you're doing there, they're not, I think they're a lot broader than the types of story work I would ever do. For example, I completely agree. I, the, the thing that you didn't uh, put in my introduction is that that I'm also a trained cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. So I actually do have some of the brain stuff going on there as well, which I tend not to use in making people behave like chickens. But I do actually, you know, it, it's very, very useful in terms of changing people's view on the world and indeed their own world, which is the story they're telling themselves. I, just to come back to what you say there. I think you and I are in a really interesting business at the moment because story is used everywhere. You go on LinkedIn and everyone's a storyteller, but how are they defining story? And I would I would make a differentiation between a narrative and a story. There is a narrative that I work with people. For example, I'm working with a couple of organizations at the moment um, on strategies for sales and, and indeed a change strategy for the, their internal performance which requires a narrative. And I believe, and we can talk more about this if you want, but I mean, I sometimes say that I think life is like a narrative negotiation. We're constantly thinking, you know, what is the problem I have to overcome? But over that overarching narrative, there are small stories that hang off that, which might be the traditional person in a time and place with a problem, series of events, overcoming a challenge, having surprises, all of the things that we know from that, that lodge in people's minds. So I would make it the story spotters is nicer than the story and narrative spotters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I actually, yes. yeah, I do think there is a difference between a narrative and a story. And I do think that we genuinely as human beings, I mean, what the listeners won't have known is that I made a complete cock up of getting my microphone and my head headphones ready for this thing here. And so we have a situation whereas I'm sitting here and I'm really looking forward to talk, to talking to Francisco but then suddenly none of my tech is working so I have to run into the house it's like I'm I am negotiating the problems that are constantly cropping up in my life from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed so that's why I think life is a is a series of of narrative negotiations and if you can spot those spot the problems that people are trying to overcome then it's still a form of story yeah what i find Interesting, and I, you know, obviously, I've I've moved towards one side of that that question, and so have you to the mm. same side. This idea that so I have friends who are in the presentation skills universe, and that they've, yeah. they've, they've, their whole careers as being, you know, although they don't call themselves that, but effectively, what they do is they teach people how to become better public speakers or better presenters or you know the one particular person i'm thinking of he what he would say is my his job is to boosting people's charisma yeah. the medium is presentation training now he doesn't actually say that but a lot of people believe this is yeah. this idea of but isn't story just one small part of it you know even if you have a presentation a story is part of it is not all of it and i can see that argument but i also think that there is an element of how good are you actually at specific skills and how much can you get out of that of, of that skill if you're not at a certain level of quality so if you get trained by a good presentation skills mm -hmm. person who covers most of the things you need to cover to get someone from being okay to being good mm -hmm. are you genuinely going to come out of that being able to tell stories 
if you couldn't, probably not. No, like I, I've seen what those trainings are. I've done some of them myself. There's no time to dedicate to anything like that. So I would argue you could come out as a very good presenter. That's still probably going to be a weaker part of your game. I agree. So I think the question is, you know, when companies are looking for the specific skill, you know, are they trying to get people from, you know, a three or a four to a five or a six? In yeah. which case, I think you need more of a generalist. Or are you trying to get people that are reasonably competent to a higher level? And in that, I think you need the person who's very good at PowerPoint or, you know, oh, uh, which I'm not. Yeah. I certainly or, don't. Or storytelling or, yeah. you know, whatever the you know, body language, whatever the skill is, is that you're trying to improve. So, well, it's an interesting thing that because actually I think all of my, I mean, I have occasionally from procurement teams been asked, you know, so what is your training in? to become a story spotter, to which the answer is my life, my whole life. I mean, from a very, very early age, I was, like all children are, I mean, you have a young child, I mean, they tell stories. That's the, that's the, yeah, that's the currency of childhood is storytelling generally. And I remember as I grew up, I mean, taxi drivers always used to say to me, you should be a chat show host. I mean, because I would be, I've, I've eaten so much food so quickly in my life because I've got other people talking at dinners because I'm just interested in people. And that combined with my performing background, where you do get body language stuff, obviously, I feel like I, my, my, my degree was invo involved screenwriting. So structurally, I, was, I had a big background in the structure of story as well. And then added to that with the, you know, the, the, the hypnotherapy side, all of these sides do come together. Well, a phone call I've just literally come off now, just before us talking, essentially, it was a, it was a kickoff for a big sales pitch for a, a big global organization they were talking to me about this is what's happening with the client and i i i, I sometimes feel like Haley joel osmond in the sixth sense except i don't see dead people i see stories it's like it's it's like i can see how it all fits in together and i say i think the the narrative the simple single narrative you need to be telling is this then we'll get in the room together and we'll think about the stories the bicycle guy type stories that are absolutely going to drive that narrative home. Has that answered your question? I, I don't know if there was a question, really. I think, no. no, I think, I, I don't think I actually had a question. I think it's mm. just something, I'm just thinking out loud uh, about this, essentially the generalist versus, versus specialist conundrum. And also, there's also the aspect of what works best. If you're trying to build a career, teaching people this or training on this or speaking on this and and what works best for developing a skill they're very different things you know maybe maybe it's easier being a generalist if you're doing a specific type of work but up to a certain level i think i think past a certain level it's very difficult to do that and one yeah. one place where i found it very early on was if you want to speak so I, I decided that I, I was much more interested in pursuing a, a career as a speaker who trains than a trainer who speaks. Mm -hmm. And I found that presentation skills was just not a subject that you can, if you want to be known for that, that the market for keynotes on that is not broad. Companies no. don't hire someone to come in and do a keynote on presentation skills, but they hire people to do a keynote on storytelling. So, yeah. No, it's interesting. I've I've it, I've literally only in the last 
probably in the last year and thanks to us being all virtual now entered into the into the world of keynotes and i've done a few of those in the last couple of weeks actually around I, i've got one that i do called the best story wins which is not an original title as we know but it's um but it's about the purpose of story why it's basically why story what is story and how story and what's that going to do for you as an organization i love doing that stuff i mean it's it's great because you can to a level change people and i remember the last one i got a bit of feedback on linkedin said i, I just changed my presentation for, for a client this afternoon based solely on what you said and it worked thank goodness but it was um i i i love that i love i i genuinely believe as i know you do as well is that story can be what is the what is the purpose of story i think that story is the glue that sticks us as human beings together it is the connector it has been since we probably sat around campfires trying to figure out how to go and hunt a buffalo together it's you know it's all of those things it's how we it's how how we stuck together in society um and shared ideas i i i i i just think that somehow along the line people lose sight of what is a natural human skill and giving them the permission to go back to what they can do is sometimes the biggest gift we can give them as story coaches. I find that when it comes to keynotes, when it comes to any form of communication, but for key, you know, keynotes for sure is the only thing that people are likely to remember from a keynote are maybe a very strange or, or, or different image that you put out, that you put on, yeah. on a keynote, maybe. Maybe a very unexpected statistic, something they just had absolutely no idea about and go, oh, I didn't know that it was that low or that high, whatever. But almost certainly it's going to be it's going to be the stories. So I, I've used this in a recent keynote where I was talking to a whole bunch of HR people and I told them the story of my wife getting shafted, leaving her last job. And I said, like, if you're most people, you probably pissed off. You want to torch the company, all of that. But there's no way I can I can generate that type of response. Yeah with facts and figures there's just not, no not way at all. not at all not at all and even if i could you mm. wouldn't be anywhere near as fun for you to listen to uh -oh. that and you wouldn't remember so i just find that the idea that you can do any type of communication particularly slightly longer form communication mm -hmm. without packing it full of stories you just seems to disregard both what feels right but also what the science says about how how they are remembered, how they inspire us to action and, and all of that. Well, assuming they haven't fallen asleep in the first five minutes anyway, then if they have bothered to stay awake, they will be creating their own story of what you're saying. And it's probably not the story you intend. So better to tell a story that is actually what you intend, because as you know, this, as you say, the science says that that is what will stick. On the keynote thing, actually, interestingly, probably up four or five years ago now, I did a big project in India with... Um, with HSBC, I don't think it matters. I say who it was, and there was a guy, they had a number of keynote speakers who came along to that. The one I really remember is a guy called Hamish Taylor, who who is based in Scotland, and he used to be, he was at um, he was the marketing he 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 was in charge of not of, of the marketing of British Airways when they put flat beds in, and uh, he was in charge of Eurostar, I think, and various banks. He's he's done big transformations, and his whole speech is about stealing from others in order to change your business. The thing I remember about him is his keynote was at eight o'clock in the evening after dinner. He was there from midday at the back of the room listening to everything that happened in that room. 
and taking notes so that what he said that evening was 100% relevant to the people in there. And he adjusted. He made minor adjustments, potentially. But I think that's an extraordinary thing to do. It's, it's, it, it shows huge commitment on the speaker because without relevance and without context, you're not going to get people in, interested in the first place. So I, I take my hat off as a, as a keynote speaker to him. Yeah, there are some very basic things that that you can do on pre-calls and, and if you don't do them, you can be setting yourself up for, for a difficult hour. And, and one of them, and a lot of people talk about this, is just asking them, you know, what does, what does, a, what does success look like for you when it exactly comes to this right. keynote? You know, what, what is me, you know, hitting it out of the park look like? And what would be, you know, not failure necessarily, but what would be a problem or something you wouldn't want to see? And you easily get rid of a lot of contentious things that you could be doing. And, and sometimes I've seen people fall prey to the silliest mistakes, which is which are you are talking about a company. In one of your examples, you're using a company that for, for one reason or another is not kosher to use. So you might be using a sports company when you're presenting to another sports company or apparel company or something along, you know, in yeah. that industry. And it's just they don't want the great example of of whatever you're talking about, to be a competitor. I agree with you. Know, you. It, can, it, it can be as simple as that. Do you know what I love about what you've just said then, Francisco, as well, is that is that the, that question, what does success look like to you, is automatically triggers a story. It triggers a future imagination in an audience. And there's a very interesting thing I noticed. This actually comes from my hypnotherapy in, in terms of non-directive hypnotherapy. It's like... So how might you feel or what would you feel like if you managed to avoid cigarettes next time you were having a beer? And people will go, they'll look up and they'll go, well, I imagine I'll be really proud of myself. And I'll, I'll, I'll think, you know, you've achieved something, David, rather than me saying the next time you have a beer, you will avoid cigarettes. And of course, you have a beer and you have a cigarette and you think David is a terrible hypnotherapist. But the interesting thing about your question there is you've triggered a story in someone they've done most of the job for you. They've told you what goods looks like. All you've got to do is fill that in. It's a great interview question. Let me ask you some very uh, pragmatic hmm. points because you, you've been doing this this stuff, calling yourself a story spotter or not, but you've been doing this for a long time. So yeah. some of the trainings that I know you, you offer companies include, for example, facilitating story-powered meetings, I, I probably could go on a tangent about how we need to be perhaps slightly <laughs> careful about the, the story powered thing because it's yeah, a well, trademark. I, I, yes, I, I With understand. a hyphen, it's a trademark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm glad I, my my website is registered and has been registered for a while. But yeah, so so, so I, I genuinely picked my the name of my my thing uh, before I even knew they existed. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, right. So how would you use? Um, how would you train people to use stories in? meetings. Now, I obviously have my ideas here, but how do you do, the, do that? Well, I that's a very, very good question. It's how you, it, it, it's almost a view on, on how meetings are told. I, I how, how a meeting is structured in the first place. With that particular course, I get people to see a story as a narrative. So as a chair of a, of a meeting, what you can often do is what is the story that you're telling right at the beginning that sets the context and the relevance? So people are, you know what meetings are like. People go in there and they're busy thinking about, oh, why didn't I have that sandwich at lunch? Or I've got to get that report done by five o'clock and I'm stuck in here. So a story that gathers people's minds into the one place is a a great way to to um to to just kick off a meeting anyway. 
But then there are other elements of it as well. I mean, if you think of a three-act structure, I mean, uh, situation, complication, resolution, how many meetings have you been in where where nothing gets resolved because people are coming at it from a different angle. So if, if you think about what is this, where are we in this meeting? Are we in the situation where we're just trying to understand the, the situation stage, where we're literally just trying to understand what is the context here? What are we dealing with? Then start arguing, which of course is the bit that people like, you know, the complication. That's the bit that people really enjoy in a meeting. But as the chair, it's your job to say, great, we've understood the context. Now let's move on to debating this. And then that, that's all that divergent thinking. And then the last stage, the resolution, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's the convergent thinking where you're starting to come out uh, to find a solution to what it is you're talking about. Of course, meetings might have the whole purpose of one meeting might just be one of those stages. But you could easily have all three stages in a meeting as well. So we do a we do a I uh, my my acting background means that I do a lot of role play in those things as well. And I, I enjoy I enjoy playing the person who tries to derail a meeting and uh, take it into a stage an area that it's not meant to be in and watch people try and get it back on track. So yeah, stories story powered meetings, absolutely. What's the structure of it? How do you use story to get your point over? And indeed, what stories do you need to get out of people as well? All right, so that story being used as as a as a structure, right? As a so structure, not, totally. And would you would you normally try to get people? You know, so the structure is the overarching thing. Would you always try to do people to what make whatever points they're trying to make with stories, or not necessarily? No, without doubt, without doubt, because I genuinely believe that. It is the best. Well, we've said this already today, but I mean, it is the it is the single my my image for, and this is going to be terrible for podcasts. But if anyone's watching this on YouTube, it's going to work for you. I often think that we our, our lives are filled with points that we're trying to make, and if you try to, and that's like a nail. David is holding a pen up for anyone who's not for the audience. Watching. I'm holding a pen up, and yes. I'm, and David is now about to bash that pen onto his hand and drive it home like a nail because I think a story is the hammer that drives the point of a nail home for people. It's the best one. You can try and do it with facts, but it ain't going to stay stuck for long. Yeah, the, the problem with the problem with that analogy is that you've now opened yourself and, and us to the whole when you have a hammer. <laughs> <Pretty soon. laughs> well, the, well, actually, do you know what? I think that analogy goes even better because it, one of the things I do say people, to people with that is you've got to really watch the audience as well because, you know, I've heard some people who go on and on and on in a story as well. I mean, if you're driving the nail home, you've got to spot the point when that nail has been driven home. You know, don't keep hammering, otherwise you're just damaging the table. Yeah, there is a problem that stories, the user stories in in professional context have, that every other communication have, but people don't necessarily see that way, which is if you do it badly, they're bad. (laughs) You know, the same way as any other, almost any other skill. Like if you're a bad storyteller, and I'm not going to go into the merits of what makes a bad storyteller, but if you're if you're essentially boring and you're not doing right. it the way you're supposed to be doing it, then it might look even worse because it will seem, oh no, he's trying to tell a story and look how horrible this thing is. Mm. Whereas if you're just boring the way everybody else is boring, people don't tend to think too much of it because they'll probably think, well, at least at least you're not trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I, I do you know what, Francisco? I think that the the connection between the story and the storyteller is incredibly important. And I, there are some people I know, and I think some people that you know as well, who get a bit 
worried about what they would call the Hollywoodization of storytelling in business. And they they think, oh, well, if you're acting too much, then then you, you shouldn't be doing that in business. And I 100% agree with that. But I think that there is a way of telling stories which show your connection, your feeling about the story, because as we know, a good story shows what's happened. A great story makes you feel what's happened. And it doesn't have to be Hollywoodized, but it has to be connected. And I think that there, there are too many people I've seen in business who have a great story, and it might be a couple of minutes long, but it feels like half an hour because they're just not getting behind it. They're just not giving the passion that they need to to it. You, you said a line that I think was is very interesting. And I've been banging on about this for ages, but I haven't mm. seen expressed this way. You were go, you're going against the idea of writing down stories. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said was, the moment you put it down in writing, it just changes the language because we don't talk the exact way. Most people don't write the way they talk. Yeah. And I think you said, and, and now, but when you're not a talented dialogue writer, so if you're trying to write it, there's a good chance you're going to make it, you're going to write it in a more artificial way than what was actually said. Yeah. And then if you're trying to read those lines naturally, which is something that actors can do and and can do it by heart, you know, hence, you know, Shakespeare and every other play yeah. that, that you and other people have done, but you're not that trained actor. So exactly although right. I know plenty of people, myself included, who were able to do speeches word for word yeah. and not make them seem scripted, but I also know how many hours it took me every time I had a speech to get to that point. Oh, massively. I mean, you know, when I was at the Royal Shakespeare Company, we rehearsed for we we, we rehearsed for 12 weeks, not so that it not so that it goes well, but so it can never go wrong. It's like it's 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 like you walk on that stage as Hamlet or as whoever Henry V at the beginning, and you could somebody could poke you in the in the middle of the night and say, "Say that line from Act Five, Scene Two. You'd know it. I mean, but that who's got time for that? Who's got time for that in business? There's a guy called Marshall Gantz. Do you know that name? Do you know Marshall Gantz? I heard the name, but I'm not sure what exactly he's done. Okay, so Marshall Gantz teaches or taught, probably still teaches at at Harvard Kennedy in the States. And he came up with this idea of what he called the public narrative. And the public narrative is basically, it's a leadership model of, this is my story, this is how it is relevant to the collective, and this is how it's relevant now. And he worked famously with Obama on his first election. So it was Obama's story, how that related to the story of the United States, and why that story was relevant now. Now, Undoubtedly, Obama will have had a number of scriptwriters, speechwriters working with him, but he doesn't need a speechwriter to tell his story of him growing up and the things that have gone because they're, they're the lodge there. They're the things that are in there. So as you said, one of the many reasons why I'm not a big fan of scripting, because you end up talking to the script, to the speech rather than to the person. And it's why I love your your tag of Netflix of the mind. I mean, it's that's the basic premise of story that, that is actually your line i uh, or or be or, or neil's line i i mine my, mine is is become more interesting than netflix yes oh has it yeah that my, my headline is become more interesting than netflix that's my oh. headline on, on linkedin the netflix of the mind i think is something neil bearden says and i've seen you say which yeah. i actually find it a bit i must admit i find that a bit odd because how Don't netflix has become no, no, it just has become a, a replacement for the movies, right? Because a but lot of people say that that a story should be it should be a movie inside the listener's mind or inside the audience's mind. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I find it interesting how we are now using Netflix 
as the as the like Netflix has replaced Hollywood, right? You don't say a movie; they say Netflix, right? Which is. Which but I would you agree that the the the, the um uh, our basic aim as storytellers is to create the is to transfer the images in our heads into this into the into the audience's head, into the listener's head? What I'm seeing, yes. I want you to have, yeah. Yes, which is which is my which is my lead for you to talk yeah. about the rickety bridge. Uh, the rickety can you bridge. remember the rickety bridge? I can remember the rickety bridge. <laughs> let me let me remind you remember. of the rickety Thank bridge. You, yeah. So the the uh, so the rickety bridge the rickety bridge is something I've seen you talk about, and mm -hmm. I believe that what you said was you were talking about moments in a story, which other people call scenes, or some yeah. people call you know action scenes. And those are the movie-like parts of your story. Exactly and right. And I think well, I think your metaphor was, it's like a you know it's a you're trying to cross a rickety bridge, and it has some pylons that look very solid. You know? Yeah. Is it has it come back to you now? Oh, it's no, it's come back to me absolutely clearly. I mean, because it's what I fundamentally believe. I mean, the interesting thing is here. Francisco, is that you know fact is the facts are the are, are the the currency of business. They are the currency of business, but they are not necessarily the things that sell business. It's the stories I believe that sell business. And so I work, as I said earlier, I work a lot with teams who um, are, are presenting and are pitching for very big contracts globally, and there is a lot of factual stuff they need to get over. But I think one of my major jobs is to find those pylons, the, the, the facts of the rickety bridge, and the facts will fall down unless they are supported by the pylons of the stories. And if I give you an example of that, actually, I was working with a team last year who were pitching for it was a, it was a, it was the, uh, some work with the bank, and the person who was in charge of it uh, opened up. And his opening was, he said, listen, I was in German Street uh, in June of last year, and I bought a very expensive suit, and I gave my credit card from your bank to, to, the, to the person I was buying the suit from, and it was maxed out because my wife and I had been doing a lot of renovations back home. And he said, I rang up your bank, and I said, uh, uh, listen, we've got a terrible problem here. And the woman on the other end was really, really kind. She was so calm. She was so helpful. She said, okay, when will you be back in the country? And I said, in four days' time. She said, I've just put this amount on your card now. Give us a ring. We'll sort it out as soon as you get back. We'll have a great have a great trip. And then he said, and that's essentially what I want to give you in this project, that, that breadth of thought, that care, that attention to detail, the can-do attitude that you always that – you, that you've shown to me. And as soon as he – I don't think he would have thought of that story was – either relevant or appropriate in a business context, unless I'd stopped him and said, tell that story. And I think that that was such a great opening. It, it was the first pillar. And then there were other things that held that, that rickety old factual bridge up. They won as well. I think there is a, yet another way of using that, that metaphor, which is that with any story you're telling, there's only so much of it that can be vividly described. Otherwise, you just load it too much. And you can have a story, or a very small story, more like an anecdote than a story, without a moment. And for anyone who doesn't understand what I'm talking about when I say a moment, I'm talking about the bit of the story that happens in real time. Exactly. Where you're, you're describing what a character sees and smells and hears, how do they feel like. Um, and that is usually what the story is. So something happens to you out in the street and you want to tell someone is you want to tell about this thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to tell us what 
you know what life was like before so we understand what the context of what you're talking about and you need to tell us a little bit what happened after but the story is usually that moment and in any story if it's a longer story you're going to have a few of these moments but the rest of it is basically you just talking I completely agree with that. I mean, it, it, to quote Hamilton, the musical, it's it's when you want to put people in the room where it happened, and you actually. Yeah. It, interestingly, I think, I think within business context, you'll often find those the relevant moments are often moments of human interaction and dialogue, where you actually sort of say, "And I was in there talking to the head of IT, and he said to me, you know, I've, I've heard terrible people bits of coaching in the past where people have sort of." rammed a story full of, you know, and I could smell the bacon on the sandwich as I and the coffee as it percolated as I walked in. And you think, who is this helping? This isn't relevant. This is just fat on the story. I mean, get rid of all that. Get me to the point. And if there's a real point that needs driving home, then dive down into the moment, as you say. And I think often that will be, we're, we're fascinated by human interaction, human beings talking to each other. Brilliant. I think there's there's a lot of nuance to to that point you just made because on the one hand we do want sensory descriptions because we sensory do. descriptions are what trigger the other five areas of the brain and not just the two responsible for language processing and acquisition and that's why stories are literally more engaging to the brain because there's more areas of the brain being triggered at the same time I think part of the problem is that when people use sensory descriptions it's very easy to become artificial when you do it. Like, yeah. you know, you can say, you know, I, I woke up and like, you know, that smell of coffee when it's just brewed, that's fine, right? Like I know you know what I'm talking about, but exactly. if you say the smell of coffee percolating, <laughs> so it's a voice problem, I'm making a voice, yeah. I'm using percolating, which is not a word you would normally use in everyday life. So, so I think it's, you know, if you're using your normal voice, if you're using your normal words, then you can, you can say... You can say a lot of stuff that is sensory without ever sounding artificial, yeah. but if you f if you fall prey to to those to, to the voice to the to the, the language that is not normal, then you you become the story weirdo, as I call it. <laughs> that's fantastic, story weirdo. Can I steal that? Because that's absolutely yes, true. by all means. <laughs> yeah, so one more one more thing about the story weirdo. The story weirdo not only is the person that does the voice and uses words nobody uses, but he overacts the story and he yeah. announces it every time. So he either say, "I have a story for you," or "I have a great story for you," or "You're gonna love this story." Every time, the he story weirdo the will always announce it. Yeah, the S word. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yes. Do you know on yes. that on, on that sensory thing? Actually, this goes back to Neil when we when I was working with him at INSEAD. It was it was what and this is an interesting point actually because it's one of the stories I really remember and it was one of the MBA guys and the point he wanted to make is that he's great at solving problems with teams and he told this story about once a week because they were people from all around the world they'd get multicultural teams together in in or housemates together and one person would cook from their a meal from their from their country and he, he was from iran i think it was and he decided to do a kebab in the oven and he'd done this thing and he'd made a rotisserie and everything and suddenly there was this huge explosion the, the thing had exploded i mean the whole oven had exploded suddenly there were five engineers from insead with their head inside with this smell of kebab everywhere trying to figure because well maybe if you stuck that thing up there and then we put some sort of duct tape on that and they managed to solve this thing and it even now, I think it was just such a great example of, you know, somebody who works well in a multicultural team, solves problems, and it was all around the smell of a kebab. 
<laughs> yeah, and and I, and in that and that is a perfect example of what we were talking about. You, you, it's almost impossible to use dialogue and not make it a moment. It's very exactly difficult right. to say because you say my. You could say my mother always said to me things like, and even then you're struggling not to make it a conversation. Yeah, but if you're using dialogue, if you're describing, them, they're putting their head here and they're doing this and they're doing that. You're right in the middle of, and you can imagine most of that scene. Even if you're not an engineer, if you don't like kebab or never tried cooking a kebab in the oven or, or, or anything or anything like that. So yeah, I think I think that's a perfect example. And, and again, we could probably talk five years from now. And if you said, do you remember the kebab story I told you? I would know it. Like, I don't think I would struggle to remember someone trying to almost blowing up an, uh, an oven because, of, and you know, exactly. and there we go. That's, that's, that's the power of a, of a story well told. Right. So I can see we are coming up to the time you have to dash. I could so, talk forever about this. Yes, I, I can imagine you, but probably, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing that we have other commitments in our lives. Right? That's probably a good thing. So for anyone, who, for anyone who wants to see what you're up to and find out more about you, is it thestoryspotters.com? The storyspotters.com. We've got a page for the, uh, we've got on LinkedIn, the, the story spotters on, on LinkedIn. Uh, very happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn, David Pullen. I wouldn't bother on Twitter because who uses that? <laughs> yes, because you're still going by Macacne Pullen. On, on yes, Twitter. exactly. <laughs> yes, I do, I do want to see that children's book. What is a Macacne Pullen? The Macacne Pullen. <laughs> the Macacne Pullen. Of legs. That it, that it, well, uh, literally, perhaps. <laughs> I expect you to claim your commission. No make it with no legs. The Macaque Nipolan <laughs> has no legs. <laughs> yes, that's going to happen. That. Let's, see, let's see where that one goes. <laughs> I will do. Uh, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this, Francisco. It's great to meet you. It's been a pleasure, my friend. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. And until next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. It's very easy. You open the app and find this show. Then scroll down a little, and when you see the stars, tap. I'd really appreciate it, and it does help other people find us. And if you'd like to get in touch or find out more about what I do, reach out to me on LinkedIn or visit my website, storypowers.com. <laughs>